So, a few weeks back, uh, Pastor Tim asked uh, for us to share while he was out of town to go through uh, Psalm 83, Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, uh, 38-39. And so I want to give you a quick background on the book of Ezekiel since we're kind of picking it up at the end of the book. So we're going to be in Ezekiel 38, obviously written by Ezekiel. He's one of the major prophets during the Babylonian captivity, okay? So according to the book itself, there are six recorded uh, visions, messages that Ezekiel shared while exiled in Babylon. And it happened about over a 22-year period from 593 to 571 BC. So this was written 2,600 years ago. 2,600 years ago. First message described, um, it concerns the loss of Israel, the loss of their land and getting kicked out of their land. The second message that he shared encouraged Israel that someday their true shepherd would come, the Messiah would come, and he would shepherd them in their land. The third vision, the third speech that he shared, um, the Lord would remove the foreign oppressors out of the land. He would prepare it for restoration. And again, which is so vividly described in the fourth and fifth messages, the last speech, Ezekiel discusses the final attempt for others to finally try to wipe Israel off the map, wipe them out of the land. So Ezekiel prophesied these things, again, in Babylonian captivity, probably toward, the, probably toward the beginning of the captivity, whereas Daniel, in his prophecies, is toward the latter end of the Babylonian captivity. So today, we're going to look at chapters 38 30, and then 39 next week. Um, now, we don't have time to review all of this this morning, but real quickly, um, 36 and 37 describe what is it, these dry bones in the land. And uh, the Lord prophesies that these dry bones are going to come alive again, and he's going to put skin on them and bones and sinew and put them back together. The Lord drawing the people back into the land, he, and, and God did exactly that. God drew them back into the land from many nations, and on May 14, 1948, Israel became a sovereign nation again. So that, that happened. That took place about 75 years ago. Now, I think next year, yeah, they'll celebrate their 75th anniversary of that. Since then, all eyes have been on Israel and trying to, how can they wipe them off? How can we take back the land from them? As soon as they got back in the land, I, I think I was about six months old, the Yom Kippur War took place in October of 73. Again, it was a first attempt where the Arab... Arab-led states came together. They tried to, again, push them immediately out of the land. The war only lasted about three weeks. And I found this interesting article I'll share about this failed attempt by Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev. And he said, he said this, We have offered them, the Arabs, a sensible way for so many years, but no, they wanted to fight. Fine, so we gave them technology, the latest, every kind, even Vietnam didn't have. Now listen to this. They had double the superiority in tanks, in aircraft, triple in artillery, and in air defense and anti-tank weapons, they had absolute supremacy. And what? <laughs> Once again, they were beaten. Once again, they scrammed. Once again, they screamed for us to come and save them. Sadat woke me up in the middle of the night twice over the phone saying, save me. He demanded I send Soviet troops. And immediately I said, no, we are not going to fight for them. Now, after we go through Ezekiel 38, and look at the players of Ezekiel 38, you'll probably agree with me that Brezhnev probably should have added to the end of his statement there that we're not going to fight for them, eh, not yet, <laughs> just not yet. We'll see here in a little bit. 
Chapters 38 and 39, again, are what I believe to still be future events. I mean, there's some people that think it already took place, but there's not, there's not enough scripture there to, to back any of that up. Um, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when this will happen. You know, there's, again, a lot of division on that. A lot of different commentators agree, split hairs over that. You know, I personally believe it'll happen probably just before or just after the rapture of the church. Some believe this is mid-tribulation based on some, uh, some other scriptures. So, um, Again, me personally, I believe that once the church is out of here, again, you're going to see a lot of things uh, just unfold rapidly in, in the world. You see, Randy shared last week, you know, uh, a lot of teachers, you know, stay away from eschatology. Remember that? That's end times prophecy, end times teaching, eschatology. Um, again, for fear of being wrong or scaring people, you know, it's not very, it's not in a very popular, you know, it doesn't make you feel good, right? You know, it's, you know, it's not the health, wealth, and prosperity thing going on for sure. Well, again, I'm not going to be very dogmatic about a lot of these positions this morning because there are a lot of views on it. But Matthew Henry did write this. He says, There is much in this book that is very mysterious, dark, and hard to be understood, especially in the beginning and the latter end of it, which therefore the Jewish rabbi forbade the reading of it to their young men, listen, till they came to be 30 years of age, lest by the difficulties they meet with it there they should be prejudiced against the Scriptures. So, for all of you here this morning that are under 30 years of age, hey, buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be fun, all right? Okay? Actually, Henry goes on to say, but if we read these difficult parts of Scripture with humility and reverence and search them diligently, though we may not be able to untie all the knots we meet with any more than we can solve all the phenomena in the book of nature, yet we may from them, as from the book of nature, gather a great deal from, for comforting our faith and encouraging our hope in the God we worship. So again, this is not the simplest of texts to understand, but I'm going to try to do the best I can over the next three hours to uh, help you guys with that. I've broken, down, well, I've broken down chapter 38. Man, you guys should have been here first service. I was talking really fast. <laughs> I was afraid I wasn't going to get it all in here. So chapter 38, I've broken down into three parts we're going to look at this morning. And I've titled this message, Preparations for Battle. Preparations for Battle. So in doing that, three things. You have to know your enemy. You have to know your enemy's plan. And you have to know how to react. So those are three things we're going to look at this morning. Last time, uh, last week, Randy shared from uh, Psalm 83. He read from the King James Version. I'm a little younger than Randy. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, okay? And next week, Pastor Mike is going to share from the original Hebrew scrolls on parchment paper. <laughs> I just can't love you, brother. <laughs> Actually, before we start, I, I uh, have to confess, I do have to publicly apologize to Pastor Mike. See, when Pastor Tim, you know, sat us down, we, we meet up once a week, and he said, you know, we're gonna be, I'm going to be out of town. He's like, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to split up Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39. So, you know, Randy, you're doing Psalm 83. Brian, you're doing Psalm 38. And Mike, you're doing 39. That's what I heard. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Mike heard, <laughs> no, Mike's doing 38, I'm doing 39. So through what I can describe as only God-ordained events, about a week and a half ago, Pastor Mike and I were both studying for 38. And had that not happened, we would have both showed up this morning to teach 38 because no one was working on 39. So I told Pastor Mike, I said, man, I'm practically done with 38, you know, just in case Randy, Randy couldn't talk, thank God. I mean, God blessed him last week, and his voice worked. It was an awesome time with uh, Psalm 83. 
But just in case, I was like, well, I can go next week. So I try to get ready. And then, you know, Mike can do 39. Then Randy could follow up with 83 at the end. That would work great. Anyway, long story longer. Pastor Mike humbly and graciously agreed to move on and study 39. And I here am going to do 38. So thank you, Mike. Love you, brother. Stand with me and let's read from the beginning of our text this morning. And then we'll pray one more time before we dive into God's word. We are in Ezekiel 38 in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Verse 4, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer, all its troops, the house of Togarma, from the far north, all its troops, many people are with you. So let's pause right here and, and pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. We thank you for all that we have in your word, Lord. And I pray that you speak to each and every one of us today. Father God, pour out your spirit that we can take from your word, little nuggets to apply to our lives today as we walk out of here. We love you, Lord, and thank you in advance for what you are going to do in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the first point we're going to examine this morning is, in preparing for battle, is you have to know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. You have to know who your enemy is, okay? Last week, Randy gave a great history lesson on May Day and the meaning of Hay Day. He also had a prop with that cowboy hat. Remember he brought the cowboy hat up here? And that was awesome. I was inspired by that, so I brought a prop this morning. Mine's a little different of a weapon, okay? Mine is a lacrosse stick. I was inspired to bring this. I promise you in the first row, it won't hurt you. Um, this is a lacrosse stick. And again, a lot of people don't know about lacrosse, so I'm going to teach you a little history lesson this morning. Uh, ironically, I do not like history. I don't like to read, and that's what it involves. So you have to figure out what happens. You have to read. So I went to school for engineering. It involves a lot of math. So uh, when I was at college at Alabama, I played on their lacrosse on their club team. When I was there, you know, again, not a lot of people, again, not familiar with the game. Actually, this is the oldest sport in North America. It was played back around 1100 A.D., okay, around 1100 A.D. So it's also called Little Brother of War. Again, played as a social event. It was played by young men to toughen them up and get their young braves ready for a physical battle. Games were played to also settle land disputes or um, you know, versus going to full-blown war or a resource dispute. Thomas Venom wrote a book called Lacrosse, Little Brother of War, to share the aboriginal and spiritual roots of the game. So the games were often played over several mile-long fields. The original version involved you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of warriors playing on the field at one time, and they would go for days and sometimes weeks. First games were recorded again. They were played by the Haudenosaunee Confederacy of the Iroquois tribes, which is up near the upper border of New York, right on the Canadian border. And then it spread down the eastern uh, coast, down to the Algonquian Indians, all the way down to Florida, the Seminoles, and then into the Great Plains area. This is the fastest growing sport in America with, with among youth. So fast forward to today. This is what lacrosse looks like today. A little different. 
the modern game is played on a field a little bit larger than the football field. It's played over four 15-minute periods, and scalping people during today's game is usually frowned upon and will probably get you put in the penalty box, okay? Um, this is a modern lacrosse stick, usually made from aluminum or titanium, or if you know people, vibranium, okay? So for you Marvel people out there, okay? This is a lacrosse ball, again, very hard, solid rubber ball, um, about the same size and weight of a baseball, a little bit smaller than a baseball, uh, a lot denser, and it hurts just as much when one is humming toward the goal at about 100 miles an hour and you step in front of it, okay? So after playing at Alabama, I got married. My wife and I, we got married at college, uh, graduated, moved up to Nashville, start our family and start life. And now when there aren't many people around that, that play the game, you either have to throw against a wall or do what I did, take notes here, you can selfishly indoctrinate your children to play lacrosse. Okay, that's what I did. I took my tribe from the day they were little, we put lacrosse sticks in their hands, and to this day we still love to play. My dogs love to chase the lacrosse ball everywhere, so that's what you do. Now, don't let you, you music, I don't know you musicians in here. You put a guitar in their hands really young age, so don't let them say anything. A couple years after moving up here, somehow I got word that, um, you know, there was a summer lacrosse league. Some guys my age got together and played, and I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. So I thought I would check it out, right, you know? Games were held at uh, MBA, which is Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville, otherwise known as Mama's Boy Academy, okay? In case you're new to the area, maybe you're interested in sending your young lad to this all-inclusive, all-boys preparatory school. The 2022-2023 uh, tuition is just shy of $32,000, for one year. So from seventh grade all the way through high school, just under $200,000, you too can pretty much be guaranteed you'll have uh, letters from every Ivy League school across the country. Just thought I'd throw that free information out there for you in case you're looking for a school. So for the summer league, I was assigned a team. We started to have practices, met up. You know, we're doing some warm-ups and stick drills and stuff. And I'm like, this is awesome. I got guys I can play lacrosse with. This is awesome. Then the, the player coach said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to set up. We're going to do some one-on-one -on -one drills. Now, when you do a one-on-one -on -one drill, there is, as a midfielder attacking, you square up against a defenseman about 10 yards out from the crease and the goal, and there's a goalie. He waits in the, in the goal for you, okay? And you can see a slide there, kind of what it looks like. There's a, you have, you have the midfielder out there and then the two guys. So you're not allowed to step in the crease, which is the circle around the goal. So you have to, object of the game is to outsmart the defenseman, then get past him, and then score on the goalie. Simple enough, right? Right. Well, lacrosse is a very fast game. It's like, it's like hockey, except for no skates, and it's on grass. So during this drill, the defenseman and the goalie are standing there, you know, and during the game, there's, a lot of, there's five other guys out there trying to put you on the, on the ground at the same time. So, you gotta, again, you've got to make moves really quick. You've got to score quickly. Standing around with the ball will we'll get you put on the ground. So, all right, first try, I'll line up against this guy. And, and I make a move, and, and the defenseman immediately knocked the ball out of, out of my pocket, and, and it hit the ground. So then the ensuing call was yelled out. The defenseman yelled, man, and the goalie yelled, ball. And my eyes got about that big around. Because in the game of lacrosse, the ball is not supposed to be on the ground. That's called a loose ball. That usually ends up as a change of possession. The ensuing call, man and ball, means that one guy is going to hit the man. The other guy is going to pick up the ball. So after I picked myself up off the ground and pulled some turf out of my helmet, you know, I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> I was like, what the heck was that? You know, and I, I reset again. So 
Second, second time, different move, tried it again. Not only did he knock the ball out of my stick, he, he knocked the stick out of my hand as well. In the ensuing man and ball call, and I was like, man, so this is crazy. So thankfully, they didn't keep hitting. After all, this was just summer league and practice. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm like, man, what is going on here? So, you know, thankfully, again, they didn't keep hitting as hard after multiple failed and humiliating attempts to keep continuing to pick myself up off the ground. Uh, I never once took a shot on goal, mind you, okay? The, the coach goes, hey, man, um, well, <laughs> why don't you take a break for a minute? <laughs> and uh, just, yeah, come on, just take a break for a minute. You know, he says, wait, before you leave, by the way, this is, this is, this is Ryan McClay, first team All-American defenseman out of Cornell. And this is, <laughs> this is uh, Ma- Michael LaRucco, first team All-American goalie out of Cornell. They're at, at uh, Vandy over here in grade school, and they're on our team. So at, the, at this moment, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm just going to take my toys and go home. And I'm like, but it also at the same time, I was like, man, I get to play with these guys. This is going to be epic. This is awesome. And it was. It was a lot of fun. You see, squaring up against uh, an NCAA D1 defenseman out of Cornell is no joke. You know, it's almost as intimidating as squaring up as, you know, against Brian Atkins and his guns. You know, now, he was here first row, so I let him have that one. So... Um, Again, walking away in defeat, picking myself up, you know, the, the defenseman came over, he goes, hey man, you know what? He goes, I just wanted to share with you, you know, you did a good job. I just, he's like, I, I knew as soon as you started your move, as soon as you started every one of your moves, I knew what you were gonna do. And if I failed, it was because I failed to pr- produce my counter move and prevent you from scoring. And he also goes on to say, yeah, obviously he had a lot of great coaches over the year. He was red-shirted at Cornell and, you know, basically was born with a lacrosse stick in his hand, you know. And he said this, and I'll never forget this. He goes, I learned the most by diligently studying every midfielder and every attackman in the game that were the ones that scored all the time. He goes, I wanted to know how to stop every one of their moves. You see, this defenseman had an absolute clear understanding of who his enemy was. He knew exactly who his enemy was in the game of the cross, and he knew how to defend against it. So here in, in Ezekiel, we're going to look at who the enemy is. Also, not only did he know who his enemy was, he knew the fundamentals of the game. Absolutely, in and out, knew the fundamentals of the game. You know, for us, we need to know the fundamentals of our faith, right? That's why we've graffitied all these scriptures up here on the wall, and we have these bookmarks in the seat back pocket in front of you for you to take. You know, we're supposed to know our faith inside and out. So again, take these with you. They're yours to have. This defenseman knew everything I was going to do. So who's our enemy here in Ezekiel 38? Let's look again in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And, th- and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. He said, set your face against Gog there in verse 2. Set your face against him. This phrase here implies that God is telling Ezekiel, What I'm about to tell you to prophesy, you are to stand in opposition to what Gog is going to do, okay? So Ezekiel is going to do that. He's going to prophesy against Gog, and Gog is the ruler over this this, uh, group that's going to come against Israel. 
So in verse 2, Gog is also called there. Notice it says the prince of Rosh, R-O-S-H, prince of Rosh, okay? Meshach and Tubal. He's over all these guys. And again, we're going to talk about Magog and where it's at. We're going, to look at, we're going to look now at where a lot of these places are at. So Magog is mentioned as one of the descendants of Japheth in Genesis 10, 2, which is also called the Table of Nations. So Genesis 10, 1 and 2, it says, Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, are the sons that were born after the flood. Notice he says the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. So that's what he says there. These are, this is where this group comes from. Again, personally, I believe after looking at the Hebrew and the language and all this kind of stuff, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that argue over who is this group of people, this Rosh people. Where it says Tyrus there, Tyrus can sometimes, in, in the ancient language, when they would pronounce this, they would drop the T and simply say Ras or Ras or Rush. So again, again, tied to the people, the Scythian people that were in the southern part of Russia, what we know today, okay? So again, the phrase Prince of Rosh also is just a way of saying ruler, or he's the ruler, he's the one with authority over this group of people. Now, the land of Magog, okay, where, where is that? Where did, the, these, where did Magog, where did they reside? Again, in the, from the Table of Nations, uh, also from Josephus, uh, one of the Jewish historians, wrote this down. Again, he described them as the Scythian people who settled between the mountainous areas around the Black and Caspian Seas. Meshach, Tubal, again, these people groups also listed there in Genesis 10. Again, there's a map here, kind of, you can kind of see where a lot of these things are. You know, ironically, you know, Pastor Tim was actually supposed to be in Turkey for his vacation. Him and they were going to go over there and go through like some of Paul's missionary journeys and stuff, but God had other plans, you know. Personally, I think that, you know, he didn't, just didn't want Pastor Tim kicking this war off yet. I don't know, just saying, you know. I can see him going over there and starting some stuff up. Now, <laughs> so in verse 3, he says, Behold, I am against you. God is against Gog, G-O-D is against Gog, the prince of Rosh. And we know that this ruler, Gog, rules over more than one people group. We're going to look at some of the other ones here. So again, the map up here, you can kind of see that map again. You can kind of see where the people are at. The areas in yellow, that's kind of the alliance uh, of, of what is uh, all those coming against Israel. The areas shaded in green, that's kind of ones that are kind of sitting it out. You know, they're not really getting involved. They're not really mentioned um, and then you can see little Israel right there in the middle, baby, baby Israel, right there in the middle of all of this. So basically Israel, if you look at it, they're surrounded on all sides, all sides uh, being surrounded for this war. The former Soviet Union, if you take a look at it for a minute, I got a map on that. The former Soviet Union, USSR, you know, used to be a lot of the areas in red, also in pink. If you look at the area here in the middle, you know, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, again, that's a very important geographic area, probably where the funnel of these people are going to come down through there, just possibly. Also from Turkey, you can see where it's at on here as well. Again, all these people from the north funneling down through there and coming against Israel. Many of you recall when uh, Russia invaded Georgia, you know, so Russia, if you look at Georgia here in the middle, another slide on that, you can see Russia invaded Georgia back in 2008. Some of you guys might remember that when that happened. You know, again, it's a very important piece of area, a very, very important piece of land. So, again, keep this in mind. This, this could be something very important in, in, the, in the future here. Again, tad bit of history. When Russia invaded Georgia in Alabama, right to the south of us, okay, all the Walmarts and Bass Pro Shops cleared of all their guns and ammo. 
You know why? They said, them Russians took Georgia. By God, they ain't taking Alabama. <laughs> All right, some of you got that. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't write that down, okay? All right. Some of you are like, what? No, okay, don't write that down. In the middle of all that, you have, in the middle of all this, you have Israel, okay? Israel is in the middle of all that. Israel is only about 8,700 square miles of land area. That's about the same size as New Jersey. Israel is about, you know, Tennessee is about five times larger than the land area of Israel. So, you know, Tennessee, our state, state flag has three stars. Tennessee is divided up in three areas, right? Okay, you got West Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, where we live, and East Tennessee. That's where the three stars come from on our flag, in case y'all didn't know that. So, Middle Tennessee, our area where we live, is about the same size as Israel. And all those nations are coming against Israel. So you kind of have an idea, the picture of the magnitude of this war that is going to take place. Okay? So, let's move on. Verse 4. Let's look at what happens. He says in verse 4, I will turn you. So I, God, G-O-D, will turn you, Gog, G-O-G, around, put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed with great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So God is prophesying here through Ezekiel that he is going to draw Gog into this battle. He's going to draw Gog into this attack and this invasion. Again, the overarching thing to not miss in all of this is God has a divine purpose in what he is doing. God is ultimately in control of every battle, even though Gog is going to be the one coming and leading the attack. Again, Gog, the leader of Russia, Ross, you know, again, many have offered ideas as, you know, why is Russia going to attack little Israel? What's the problem? You know, why? Why are they going to do that? You know, it's, it's a very important piece of property, as you guys know, over the years. It's, it's always in the, in the middle of everybody's eyes, you know, and we're going to, I'll share here in a little while some, some ideas of why I think it possibly, why they may do it. But at the end of the day, God is drawing him into this battle, okay? God is going to draw Gog into this battle. Now again, despite whatever human motivation may be present, the overarching thing to not, not uh, forget here, God's in control. Look at verse 4. He says, with all of your army, horses, horsemen, splendidly clothed, a great company, bucklers, shields, all of them handling swords. Ezekiel is describing an army in terms that made sense to him at the time. Again, there's a lot, a lot of discrepancy and argument over what this means. Is it modern warfare? Is it, you know, going to be, is, are we going to go back to archaic times and fight with bows and arrows and shields? You know, it says bucklers and shields. Bucklers is a small shield, like about 12 inches in diameter. You wore on your forearm usually when you're doing close hand-to-hand combat. And you also, they also have shields, which are almost like full body shields where you can actually stand behind it during, you know, archery events and that kind of a thing. So at the end of the day, this military is going to be highly weaponized, whichever, whichever way you want to look at it, whether it's old school uh, bows, arrows, horses, or you can look at it in modern technology terms. Again, a lot of people try to read into that and fight over that. I'm not even going to get into that this morning, okay? So just know this. It is a vast military, well-equipped, very fast. They can move, and they're going to come to conquer. 
No, no surprise, I mean, to anybody probably in this room, you know, Russia has been feeding the Middle East weapons for decades, okay? <laughs> Even though they say they're not doing it, everybody knows they're doing it. So, again, again, they're heavily involved, Russia is heavily involved in the Syrian government to this day. So, again, you know, again, that's a big secret, right? Yeah, sure it is, okay? So, no doubt, Russia is going to be heavily involved with the armament of these countries, and they already are to this day. Who else is involved? Verse 5, it says, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Coming from the far north, we have people. Coming from the west, coming from the south, and coming from the east. Again, look at that map again. You can see, I mean, Israel is surrounded. Surrounded by their enemy. Okay? Gomer is also in there. Again, a lot of people reference that you know, the United States is not an end-time prophecy. Right there it is, Gomer, Gomer Pyle, okay? Gomer is in end times prophecy. Gomer Pyle, no doubt, filmed in Mayberry, North Carolina. Come on, don't write that down either, okay? All right, good. So most regard Gomer as the Armenian people, which is up in the north area around Germany, you know, again, some uh, in, in Turkey, parts of Turkey. So again, a lot of these people, again, coming and funneling from the north. So what does he tell them to do? Look at verse seven. He says, prepare yourself and be ready. You and all your companies that are gathered about you and be on guard for them. He says in verse 8, after many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those who brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. There they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. Look at verse 9. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people's with you. He's telling them, get ready. Get this military ready. Again, God is ordaining Gog to pull in against Israel. We're going to see why here in just a little bit. They are, he's telling them, prepare and get ready. Now, verse 8, it says, notice a couple things in verse 8. After many days, it says. It also says in there, in the latter years. This was written 2,600 years ago. Okay, 2,600 years ago, Israel, uh, I mean, Ezekiel wrote this down in the Babylonian captivity. Again, this is not something that's going to be fulfilled in his time period. This wasn't something that was going to be happening during Ezekiel's time. This is going to happen in the last days or the last of the last days. Israel, again, after they've been brought back into the land from the sword, gathered by many people, brought back into their land to fulfill prophecy. Now, there's some scholars that say, you know, the war in Ezekiel 38 and 39 has already happened. I mean, I don't see how that's possible when you look at verse 8. There's no way. Because it says there that in the latter years, you, Gog, G-O-G, will come into the land of those, again, notice it says, brought back from the sword, gathered from many people into the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. They were brought back out of the nations, and now they dwell safely. So this could not have happened yet. May 14th, 1948, again, the Israelites were brought back into their land. They formed a sovereign nation again, and the world recognized that May 14th, 1948. I don't think any of this has happened since then. I mean, I'm, been, I'm not that old, but I'm one, you know, I wasn't born last night. Okay, this hasn't happened yet. There's no way these events could have happened yet. He says also in verse 8, now all of them dwell safely. Okay, now is Israel dwelling safely in their land right now? Again, that's open for discussion, right? What about the United States? 
Are we dwelling safely here? Do you guys feel pretty safe here, right? I do, you know, pretty safe, right, for the most part. Well, Israel, if you ask people in Israel today, they do feel safe. They have one of the best militaries in the world. They are phenomenally equipped and phenomenally trained. You know, so you ask them, they would probably say. Now us, looking outsiders looking in, we're like, no way are they at peace, man. Everybody around them wants to wipe them off the face of the map. Do you know how many people want to wipe the United States off the face of the map right now? Quite a few. So again, it can be argued that they are at peace. There are peace treaties in place right now that are being held up, at least for the moment. Verse 9, he says, you will ascend coming like a storm. Again, the thing to take away from this, these armies of Gog, they're very fast, they're very well equipped. They're going to come with great destructive power against Israel. Okay, so that was point number one. Now we know who our enemy is. Okay, we know kind of who is going to be coming. And we've kind of looked at the nations, the seven nations coming against them. To be prepared for battle, you have to know what the enemy's plan is. Okay, so you have to know what the enemy's plan is. What's he going to do? What is Gog going to do? Satan's plan from the beginning has always been to question God's word. Right? Since the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, what did Satan do? He taught Adam and Eve how to lie, cheat, and steal, right? No. He said, did God really say? He challenged them to question God's word. That's in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, notice he says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You see, that's what the enemy does. The enemy always goes against the word of God. And the result will always be destruction. And you follow after Satan's plan. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. Right? I mean, Gru gets it. Okay? You know? (laughs) Gru gets it. We're going to steal some stuff. Okay? We're going to kill and destroy. Oh, wait. That's not a new plan? Oh, man. It's not a new plan. It is a new plan, right? No, nothing new. Ecclesiastes 1.9. There's nothing new under the sun. Look at verse 10. This, look at what happens. Here's where Gog starts to reveal his evil, evil plan in verse 10. He says, Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass, notice, that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you, Gog, will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having either bars or gates to take plunder and to take booty and to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from all nations who have acquired stock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. He says, verse 10, underline that, that thoughts will arise in your mind. God is going to deliberately pull Gog into this. He's going to pull his allies into this against Israel. But notice, God is not pulling an unwilling Gog, G-O-G, okay? He, he's, he's developing this own thought process in his mind. He's developing this own plan in his mind. You see, you got to be careful because, I don't know about you, but sometimes our thoughts can be our own worst enemy. Yeah? Okay? We got to keep our thoughts in check. We've got to keep our mind, we've got to keep in mind who the real enemy is. Don't ever forget that. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not your disobedient child. The enemy is not, you know, that neighbor you can't stand. It's not your coworker that you really don't like to work with. 
we need to keep in mind who the enemy really is. And we need to keep our thoughts in check because they sometimes can, can mislead us. Again, if you're not careful, keeping our thoughts in check. Again, a lot of places in the Word of God, I'll share a few this morning, we're reminded of that. Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're also told to have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. But the natural man, you know, in our flesh, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have to be careful with our minds. We have to be careful with our thoughts. The Word of God also tells us in 2 Corinthians 10:5 that we are to take our, our thoughts captive. He says in verse 5, casting down all arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, what we have to do is we have to take our thoughts and stand them up against the Word of God. We have to take our opinions and stand them up against the Word of God. Now, all this Roe v. Wade stuff going on, you know, and I love what Pastor Tim shared earlier this past week, is you, you can't legislate righteousness in the people's lives. You know, just ask the Israelites how well that worked out, okay, by law. You can't do that. So it doesn't matter what our opinions are. What matters is what does God's Word say? God's Word says that it's murder, okay? That's what God's Word says, what did I say a minute ago? God's word is always what is going to be brought into question. So it doesn't matter what opinions you form. It doesn't matter where you stand on Roe v. Wade or any of that kind of stuff. What matters is what does God's word say? What does God's word say? Take it back to the word of God. Let them deal with what God's word says. Okay? That's what we have to do. Take it against God's word. One of my favorite uh, sections of scripture is Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Take it back to the word of God. Take all of our thoughts captive. Take them back to the word of God. What does God's word say? well, I don't really like what my wife is doing right now. I'm not, what does God's word say? Love her the way I love the church. Take every thought back to the word of God because that's where it starts. It starts in our mind, right? It starts with a fleshly thought. Oh, well, I didn't get my way, right? And then we always, you know, right, right after that, we, we always act kindly right after that, right? You know, and no, we don't. We always react with kind words, right? No, we don't. Fleshly reactions take place. Harsh words come out. Bad texts. So really, you start texting somebody? Or the infamous silent treatment, right? We need to take our thoughts captive because that's where they start and stand them up against the word of God. Again, if you're questioning whether you should say something, again, I've, I've found this very helpful. Ask yourself, is it true? Is it considerate? Is it edifying? Is it loving? If it's not, don't say it. If it's not, don't say it. Let me, just, let me just say, this applies in the social media realm as well, okay? Your f- people on your friends lists and stuff, I don't care what social media platform you're on, they, they probably know you're a professing Christian. First and foremost, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, 
Represent him well, especially out there online and stuff, you know. Taking every thought into captive, taking everything that we're going to post into captive. Is it true? Is it considerate? Is it edifying? Is it loving? If it's not, man, we got to be careful with that, okay? I mean, Mike Tyson demonstrated to the world a few weeks ago <laughs> what happens when uh, <laughs> you, you say some things. Because, again, a lot of people post stuff on social media when someone's not right across from them. Well, this guy said some things to Mike Tyson on the plane, and Mike Tyson reminded him why his name is Iron Mike Tyson, okay? He turned around. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he turned around and just lit this guy up on the plane. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer, okay, because he reacted fleshly. But, again, we've got to be careful with what we say. Be diligent to keep our thoughts in check and stand them up against God's word. Notice what Gog is going to do here. G-O-G, Gog, verse 11. I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. So the first evil thought in this guy's plan is, I'm going to go against Israel. I'm going to go attack them because they seem defenseless. They're gathered back into the land. I want that land. I want that area. Again, does Israel seem defenseless today? I don't know. Not on your life. I wouldn't be trying that. But here, Gog is persuaded to go against Israel. Again, I can believe it can be argued that Israel is living at peace. They, they don't have a problem. They, 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 you look at some of the stuff that they've said in the news, they bring it on. They've told Iran, bring it on. They've told other people, bring it on. We're ready. Don't mess with us. Again, it can be argued that they're living at peace, you know. How many people thought, you know, Russia was going to go and attack Ukraine? I mean, who in their right mind would be starting a war in this day and age? But yet it still happens. His second evil thought in his plan here is in verse 12. It says to take plunder and take booty. Ooh, we don't, we don't use that word very often, okay? To take plunder and to take booty. To take, to steal, to take something from somebody else. Now, again, it's been argued, what, why is Russia going to do this? Why are they going to come into Israel? Why are they going to come in there and pick on little Israel? What do, they, what do they have? Again, I mean, Russia, I mean, you look at their economy now. The world has pretty much destroyed Russia's economy. They've, we've pretty much destroyed Russia in light of what they're doing in Ukraine. So, well, when you don't have stuff, you go take somebody else's stuff. Again, speculation on my part, okay? But again, maybe we're just further poking the beast. I don't know. You know, we're adding into this. But at the time of Gog's invasion, this coalition, may, they think it's going to be relatively easy to come in there and attack Israel and take whatever they want. He says to take plunder and to take booty. What does Israel have that people want? Now, again, this is complete speculation on my part. This is just one thing, and uh, I'll share a few things here. Um, Israel announced its plan to be completely energy dependent by 2025 on natural gas. They're going to get rid of all of their nuclear. They're going to get rid of all of their coal. They're going to get rid of all of their oil-fired plants to be completely on natural gas. Within the last decade, uh, Israel discovered one of the largest natural gas deposits in our time. You can see it on the map up here. I think it's a map. Um, it's called the Leviathan Basin. Okay, so they found this just in 2015, somewhere around there. You know, and again, they have in that area now. They have one of the largest deposits at their hands of natural gas. Now, when they go to become energy dependent, you look at the next slide. You know, they're only going to use. If you look at the circle chart on the right. All they need is about 5% of that natural gas to be completely energy independent. So now, hey, they got all kind of stuff. They got, talk about having some booty. Okay, they got it. 
They have all kinds of natural gas. You're like, well, natural gas, that's not that great, you know? That's just like gasoline, right? Well, listen, listen to this, okay? Do you, you know what the main topic, some of the main topics coming up at the G20 Summit in November of this year, where all the world leaders get together, the G20 Summit? Three things, three main points they're going to talk about. The first one, they're going to talk about our global health architecture. COVID, okay? That's, it's codenamed COVID right there, okay? The second thing they're going to talk about, sustainable energy transition, okay? Green energy, the green deal, all that kind of stuff, right? How does the world transition away from oil? The third thing they're going to talk about is digital transformation. How do we move to a digital, one world digital economy? That's happening in November in a few months, folks, okay? Do you kind of see where we're at on the prophetic timeline? Okay? Exciting times that we live in, guys. Exciting times where we're in. So, again, I personally believe, you know, a lot of this is under the guise of the green energy deal and this global transition away from oil. You know, I mentioned natural gas, right? Okay? Natural gas is a very positive and now, now what is considered a useful clean energy fuel source. Okay, the European Commission on February 4th of this year, okay, just said, Power plants that are now burning natural gas can be considered generators, get it, of green energy. This means that they can now count all of their sustainable investments along with nuclear power as being completely green on natural gas. The Commission's Technical Rules on Sustainable Finance classifies a list of sustainable economic activities under the EU. Under these guidelines, the economic activities will help EU and the surrounding countries reach their green energy goals and shifting away from coal and oil-fired plants. Now, look at the slide on oil for a second. Hmm, what happens when you take away oil? <laughs> Do you see what's up there, guys? That's where most of the oil is in the world. It's interesting. Again, complete speculation on my part. Natural gas becomes a very high-priced thing, and now Israel has a whole lot of it, a whole lot of it. Well, when you don't have, you come and you steal. You come and you take. That's what people do. So again, I don't know how all that's going to pan out. Just check it out. You know, a lot of you guys know who Amir Sarfati is, right, okay, out of Israel. Man, he's got some really cool uh, things. Uh, look, if, don't, I'm not going to pull it up now, but it's called, look, look for his thing. It's called the silent energy war going on in the Mediterranean. Just, just look that up. He's got a couple like hour-long presentations on that. It is unbelievable what's going on over there right now. Again, silently, behind the scenes, you know, smoke and mirrors. Don't look over here. Look over here. Again, he's got some really cool stuff going on out there. So Gog, G-O-G, back in our text, he's going to stir up all these nations to come in and plunder and take from Israel. Israel is, you know, Israel is number two in the world right now for startup companies. Next to the United States, Israel has the most startup companies. So again, they, the technological advancements and stuff, they have a lot of stuff going on. They are back in their land and they are prospering massively. They have more agricultural exports than anybody in the area. If you guys have not seen some of the pictures and stuff, just Google them and stuff. They're growing produce and crops in the desert. It's amazing to see what's going on over there. It's just, it's just, it's awesome, awesome. 
Verse 14, he says, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Therefore says the Lord God, On that day my people Israel dwell safely. Will you know it? He says, Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses and a great company and having a mighty army. He says, So at this point in time, Gog, all those allies are going to come against Israel. Again, all the nations that are with him coming against Israel. And again, they're coming from the far north, coming from all around. You can argue exactly where this is, exactly where Magog is, exactly where Togarma is. They're coming from the far north, all of them coming against Israel. And he says there in verse 16, he also says, it will be in the latter days. Again, reiterating that this is not going to happen during Ezekiel's time. It's going to happen in a different time, to the latter days, end times as, as we know it, getting close to the last days. He says, are you of he, in verse 17, whom I have spoke of in the former days by my servants, the prophets? Again, this is a rhetorical question and, and re- answered with a resounding yes here. You know, these folks are going to come in and attack Israel. So now we know what the plan is, right? We know what the enemy's plan is. Our last point we'll wrap up here this morning with is you've got to know how to react. You've got to know how to react. And look at God's fury here. God is going to, his fury is going to rage against Gog. Look at verse 18. And it will come to pass at that time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord, that my fury will show in my face. Verse 19, he says, For my jealousy and the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, and the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains will be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. That hasn't happened yet. I don't know if you guys missed it or not. I missed the earthquake. I don't know. Hasn't happened yet, okay? Hasn't happened yet. How are we supposed to react? And I'm sure everybody in here probably has some kind of a battle that they're dealing with, whether it's a personal relationship, something. How are we supposed to react as believers? I have an idea. I want to go to the Word of God and allow Him to fight our battles for us. Allow God to fight our battles. When Gog comes against Israel, that's exactly what happens. Did you notice that? Look in verse 18. Highlight some of these things. He says, my fury will show in my face. Verse 19, he says, my jealousy and the fire of my wrath. The earth shall shake at my presence. In verse 20. Hmm. Who's going to be battling here? Is it going to be Israel? And their advanced military, man, God is going to fight the battle for them. Again, kind of arrogantly how, you know, they're going to come down there and just think they're going to take over. I mean, that's kind of what I thought when I was squared up against that all-American defenseman. I'm just going to make a couple moves and I'm going to score, right? No, (laughs) that's not what's going to happen. But God is going to show up in a mighty way. My two favorite words in the Bible and the scripture is, but God God is going to show up in a mighty way, and the Lord's own fury is going to rage against these people coming against Gog and against his allies. God's patience is one day going to wear out. He is going to be done at one day. You know, maybe you guys have been around in a relationship, you know, somebody just says, that's it, I'm done. That's kind of what's going to happen. God's going to say, I'm done with you messing with my people. I'm done with you trying to wipe my people off the face of the earth. And Gog, is going, and Gog is going to be met with the fury of God, G-O-D. 
Again, another reason why I believe the Ezekiel 38-39 war will happen probably right after the rapture of the church. Again, none of this can really happen, I think, with believers still in the picture. You know, Tim, Pastor Tim has shared a lot of that through Revelation, how, you know, we, the church, the Holy Spirit, are the restrainer right now, holding back a lot of these things that, you know, again, once the rapture happens, you know, this could easily kick off, you know, this war could easily kick off the seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the day, we have to allow God to fight our battles. But God. And again, we don't have a lot to go into it. Write this down also. You can look at Psalm 18 later. This is a Psalm of David that he wrote down after he was delivered from the hand of Saul. Again, we don't have time to read all of it, but I'm going to share verses 47 and 48, 48 with you now. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above all those uh, you also lift me up above those who rise against me. Man, if you feel like you're in the midst of a battle this morning, read Psalm 18. Man, it is awesome. It is awesome. And, and as David writes down how he was delivered from Saul, all supernaturally by the Spirit of God and God moving and doing those things, he says, you have delivered me from that violent man. So make a note of that and read it later. Finally, in our text, in verse uh, 19, he says, Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake. This great earthquake, again, is going to come and shake up everything and what, just really get people's attention. At the end of the day, what God is doing is he is going to let them know who he is. Look at verse 23. He says, Thus, the Lord speaking here, he says, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Look, then they shall know that I am the Lord. It, there is going to be no question at this point who he is. Again, God pulling people, drawing people to him, letting him know who he is. That's kind of what he's kind of doing. He even says there, and it's going to be so supernatural, this, this victory. In verse 21, he says, I'm going to call the sword against Gog. They're going to start killing each other out there on the battlefield. That's just the supernatural. The Gog's own armies are going to start turning the sword on each other on the battlefield. God is going to do a mighty work in this in showing him who he is. He's going to show Gog who he is. He's going to show Israel who he is. He's going to show the world who he is through this. Again, this is a divine, divine defeat of Gog here. You see, we have to react in the middle of our battles. We have to allow God to fight our battles for us. He does such a much better job, okay? So whatever you're dealing with this morning, whatever you're facing, whatever the battle is that you're in, you know, allow him to fight it. Go to prayer. Go to, we Christians go to war on our knees, okay? That's where we fight the battle and allow God to do it. And, and he has a better way at speaking to both parties than anybody, okay? He has a better way, better than any counselor, okay? He has a way of getting in there and fighting the battle for us. So let's quickly, let's review, okay? Leader's gonna come from the north, Gog. He's gonna come down, all these nations together against Israel. His own plan, it's gonna start in the thoughts of his mind. He's gonna come in there, come up with these plans to come and steal and take booty, okay? Gog and all his allies, they're gonna come in with a massive, well-equipped, swift army, thinking that oh, this is gonna be a piece of cake, it's gonna be a walk in the park. Gog is going to come against Israel. Again, when they're back in the land, already happened, 
okay? They're prosperous, happening, okay? And they're safe. Probably questionable, but I think they're safe. Other nations are going to watch and wonder with what's going on and why this is even happening. We're going to be back, we're going to probably stand back on the sidelines going, eh, we're out of this, okay? God is going to react and say, that is it. Enough is enough. Quit messing with my people. And the victory is going to fulfill a lot of prophetic expectations. And God is going to clearly show himself to Israel, to the world, and certainly to God, who he is. So until then, we've got to make sure that we're prepared for battle, okay? Know who your enemy is, okay? Know who your enemy is. The enemy is Satan, okay? At the end of the day, the enemy is Satan. He's not your wife. He's not your husband. He's not your kids. He's not your co-worker. The enemy is Satan. His plan, know what his plan is. His plan has always been to bring God's word into question, and his plan is to kill, steal, and destroy, period, okay? That's what he wants to do. So when you're in the middle of that, Think about that. Don't forget that. Man, there's division going on here. Something's happening. Something's going on with this relationship. Ah, God, you know, he wants to fight our battle for us. Allow him to do that. He is a much better person to fight the battle than we ever, I am, you know what? He is a much better Holy Spirit than I am to my wife, okay? Trust me, okay? No doubt, I make a horrible Holy Spirit. He can speak into her life and he can speak into my life. He can speak into people's lives much better than anybody. So allow him to fight our battles for us. Amen? All right. Worship team's gonna come up and I'll leave you with one final thought from God's word. This is from Isaiah 61, one through three. What are we supposed to be doing, right? What does that mean for us? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our Lord to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Listen, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now again, maybe you're here this morning and you have that spirit of heaviness. You have that spirit of heaviness and you feel like, man, there's no way I can get out of this battle that I'm in. Yes, there is. There is a way. There is a way. And we looked at that this morning. Again, it could be a health, maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's finances, whatever. Please don't leave here this morning without coming up here for prayer. You know, leave it at the foot of the cross. Leave it at the foot of the cross and let him fight the battle for you. Amen? Let's close one more song.